1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: This is the Cork Today
3: replay on C103. As we welcome you along and we've mentioned earlier that there was a worldwide outage of the messaging platform WhatsApp and I'm delighted to say it has just come back uh, it seemingly I saw on Twitter uh, when they were announcing that WhatsApp is back it's funny that when one, one platform goes down everyone takes to the other platforms to see what is going on it's been described as one of the longest outages ever uh, by WhatsApp now we're still waiting to find out what exactly happened because of course it's meta that all also owns Facebook and Instagram there, the platform's parent company. They haven't commented yet as to what caused the outage, but it was a global outage, so WhatsApp is back up and running. So you can send WhatsApps to us along with uh, text messages, whichever you prefer to use, to 0862 103 103. Your thoughts and comments are welcomed throughout the morning. And in particular, would love to hear on something that we've been reporting all morning on the news with Barry, and this is to do with the new a legislation that is going to clear the way for nightclubs to stay open until 6am in the morning. But I thought what was funny about the legislation for the nightclubs that do decide to stay open until 6am in the morning. The last orders will be required to be taken at 5am um, and then the requirement the requirement is that you can serve alcohol after 5am but people will be able to continue finishing up their drinks and they'll be allowed to dance until 6am in the morning if you're still up for it. But last orders at 5 a.m. It's the Justice Minister, Helen McIntyre. She's bringing the member to the Cabinet uh, this morning. And what this is all about, it's trying to modernise the country's antiquated licensing laws, because it's not just nightclubs that are going to be affected by this. The normal bar trade, the pubs, they will also be allowed to stay open longer every day of the week. At the moment, the existing legislation for pubs, it means that pubs have to stop serving at 11.30pm Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Friday and Saturday, pubs can stay open until 12.30am and then on Sunday, last drinks are at 11pm. But what's going to happen under this new piece of legislation, they're going to standardise those closing times across all seven days of the week. So it will mean that when this legislation goes, through pubs will be permitted to open at 10 30 in the morning and that they can remain open until 12 30 a.m and that will be every day of the week. It's seen as a move aimed at bringing Ireland in line with other European uh, countries and nightclubs then will have the option it'll be up to individual nightclubs whether they want to remain open until the small hours of the morning Opening hours for late bars they'll remain at 2.30 and there also will be a new late bar permit that'll be required to keep serving later that's at the regular uh, pubs they can apply for a late bar permit A new system of permits for late bars and nightclubs also going to be introduced as part of these reforms. And the Minister is aiming to have the legislation underpinning all the changes to the opening hours. She is reckoning she'll have them enacted next year. Again, there isn't a date. I don't know if it's going to be early in the new year or later in the new year. It's called the Sale of Alcohol Bill. And what it's actually going to do is it's going to replace a patchwork of a hundred different laws. Now, if you want to be a bit of a historian and start to dig down through all of the these hundred different pieces of legislation currently is what we use for the sale of alcohol some of them are over 200 years old the laws and two thirds of them actually predate the foundation of the state so I do think the sale of alcohol needs to be brought kicking and screaming into the 20th century so once enacted the bill will lead to just one piece of legislation and that one piece of legislation then will regulate the sale of alcohol and the new laws are also aimed at supporting the development of the nighttime economy. And there's been so much talk about the nighttime uh, economy. Now, there will be new conditions in place for operating a late bar or for people who operate nightclubs, for example, a requirement to have CCTV on the premises. There'll also be a requirement for security staff properly accredited to the private security authority. And the government believes that nightclub permits will largely be availed of only by the bigger nightclubs and the bigger venues and where are they? They are mainly in our uh, cities. They reckon evening at this stage the government say they're not, there's not going to be many nightclubs around the country that are going to be uh, looking to stay open until 6am in the morning and I think I'd have to agree with that. I think it is just going to be probably Dublin. Will we have some in Cork? Will Limerick, is there a nightclub in, in Limerick that might consider or Galway until 6 a.m. in the morning but certainly I don't think it's going to be an issue for any of our county towns that there's going to be any nightclub thinking of opening until 6 a.m. Now the actual owners themselves are going to have a bit of a problem though with securing staff and getting staff to work until the small hours of the morning. I'm I'm assuming they've got to be paid a different rate to somebody that will be working in the day shift so there'll be a lot more uh, to come out of this before this piece of legislation actually actually goes uh, through but I do think our licensing laws. Absolutely, we need it to update them. They were there. I, I was unaware that some of them are over 200 uh, years old, so I think it's any right and proper that we update them. But we are. We have put up on our Insta stories uh, this morning how people feel about nightclubs being allowed to open until 6am in the morning. Do people agree with this? Do people think it's a good idea? Do people think it's a bad idea? We will be speaking with the, the Vintners uh, Federation of Ireland um, in a little while on the programme. Because I know when, when this first got Mooted. One of the arguments as to why we should an- allow nightclubs to open longer was that, as it currently stands, all the nightclubs close at the same time. And certainly in the larger city, um, the areas of the city, if you have a number of nightclubs, everybody is spilling out onto the street at the same time, and that was leading to antisocial uh, antisocial behaviour problems. But it was also leading to a problem with people, everybody trying to get taxis at the same time to to go home. So the idea is now. Now, if nightclubs are allowed to open longer they're not saying that everyone's going to remain there and suddenly at 6am in the morning you're going to have a a huge outflow of people but people will stagger the time that they leave you won't have everybody leaving at 2.30 in the morning some might stay on until 3 some might stay on until 4 and you will have the diehard who will be there until 6am in the morning so they were saying it would make the, the city centre areas safer not to have everybody coming out at the same time and we know a lot of other European countries And that's why we're following the lead of other European uh, countries. They do have a flourishing nighttime economy. Don't know if the timing of this is a bit off at the moment with cost of living crisis, because there's a piece we'll hopefully get to it later on uh, as a survey out showing how people are. What way are people tightening their belts and what way are people looking at saving money with the cost of living crisis? And funnily enough, one of the things that got cited was people saying that they've made the decision they won't be going out to restaurants as often or they won't be going out for nights out. A lot of people are going to be doing their socialising indoors and at home and they see that as a cheaper option. So I don't know if the timing of this piece of uh, legislation just happens to coincide with the cost of living crisis when, when it's a luxury to be going out for a meal and then on to a nightclub afterwards but as I say the legislation uh, it, will, it won't be enacted until next year and so hopefully by the time the legislation is enacted we might be in a better place financially and the cost of living crisis uh, might have started to abate somehow. Lovely text in from, is there a name on this? There isn't. Hi Patricia would you just say a big thank you over the airways this morning to the passing motorist who picked me up off the road At the turn-off for McCroom in the square in Mill Street, I unfortunately twisted my ankle crossing the road in a pothole on the road yesterday evening. He told me his name was John but unfortunately didn't get a surname for him and I do know he's from the town of Mill Street so thanks uh, to him. And would you also give a shout out to Cork County to fix it before somebody else falls like I did yesterday. Ended up spending four hours in A&E but nothing broken. Uh, Thank God. Yeah, God you got a bit of a nasty uh, fall there. Look after uh, yourself. Okay, on the pubs being allowed to serve drink until twelve thirty, and nightclubs being allowed to see open until six a.m. in the morning. Some of your thoughts in a WhatsApp in saying disgraceful. It'll only lead to lots more trouble on our streets. What is the world? coming to. And then some of your calls in. Even Banning's colleague thinks it's a great idea. Now she says she's not much for going out. She's too smallies at the moment so she's not out every weekend as perhaps Neve you once were. But she said only last month she went for a night out with the girls. She said at 2.30 in the morning everybody was out on the streets. The chippers were packed and she said then they faced the problem of trying to get a taxi and there wasn't a taxi to be seen. So she said staggering the times will be a lot better because now everyone will, will leave at the same time. So she reckons it will be safer on our streets. Owen says, if they can't get staff to work at the moment in the hospitality trade, how are they ever going to get staff who will agree to work until 6am in the morning? I did mention that. I do think staffing is going to be an issue on this one. Orla feels it's a bad idea. Uh, leave it the way it is. We're only encouraging people to drink more, says Orla. And Carol says, we've gone a long way from the days of the pub closing for the Holy Hour. to no generation will remember the holy hour where i don't was that only on a sunday that the holy hour used to happen was it 2 hours was it 2 to 4 the idea behind it at the time was it was to close it was to get the men to go home to their families to have sunday dinner that was the reason for the holy hour but they got rid of that and they also got rid of the opening um the closing on good friday uh, we only we're only left now with Christmas Day that's the only day and that's I have no indication that that's going to be covered in the sale of alcohol uh, bill but a lot of those the closing Good Friday and the Holy Hour closing that Carol is, is speaking about they would have been con- contained in what I mentioned was a patchwork of over a hundred different pieces of legislation that govern the sale of alcohol so the idea of this is they'll have one sale of alcohol uh, bill and that one piece of, of legislation will regulate the sale of uh, alcohol will Christmas Day and the closure of the and Christmas Day be mentioned, in it? We'll have to wait and see. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 one o three, one o three. 103.
2: Court today on C103
4: with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group, promoter, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
3: The weekend, there was a much shock to see a Facebook post from the much loved Body Bunny Canellan's Bar and Restaurant in Myrtleville announcing its closure until the economic storm passes. With similar announcements become a regular feature to talk about how the bar trade is weathering the current storm. I'm joined by Chair of the Cork Vintners Federation and that is Michael O'Donovan. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Michael, and before we get to the possibility of more uh, closures, what's making the headlines uh, today is this new piece of legislation that is going before the Cabinet today that uh, could and will allow pubs to serve until 12.30am every night of the week. Major reforms of the licensing laws with, of course, the other big headline that nightclubs will remain open until 6am good move or bad move
5: mixed I suppose uh, Patricia is the way I would view it Um, (coughs) excuse me uh, you know one thing that we really looked for was Sunday morning to be brought in line with the rest of the week because that was uh, presently it's 12.30 opening and what we were asking for is to be brought back to ten thirty, just like the Monday to Saturday, um, because if there was a match or if there was, you know, something on in the community, uh, and if people wanted access to the bar, um, it was uh, possible to do that. Uh, we've seen it, you know, with matches, big matches, and Munster Championship matches around the province. You know, when people travel, they can't get into any place because uh, they're closed. So we welcomed the proposal of that uh, to open at ten thirty on a on a Sunday morning. Um, Because, yeah, it'll
3: be standardised across the week. um, Seven days a week, 10.30 in the morning will be opening, and 12.30 at night, seven days.
5: I suppose the the 12.30 at night is questionable. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, even probably Thursday, Um, I'm not so sure there's a demand for it. Um, There'll be very few that will probably take that up, as we're seeing across the city and county at the present. Uh, Lots of places are closing on a combination of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, some day or two days of those three. So, you know, I'm not so sure about uh, the viability of opening until 12.30 those nights. And look, we we tried the 12.30 in a Thursday night a number of years ago. Um, it didn't really work then, so I'm still not convinced it might work now. But look, I suppose the, we, we'll see in, in, in the future how this works. Um, but I, I would say that pubs will probably tailor their uh, business hours to their, you know... Uh, yeah, I, I,
3: when, when I mentioned it earlier, I was making the point, it's the timing of this piece of legislation, unfortunately. It couldn't come at a worse time with a cost-of-living crisis.
5: Yeah it is it's it's uh, look there's probably i suppose when whenever, whenever anything changes there's never a good time for it to do but this is probably one of the worst times for it to happen um, with what we're seeing at the moment you know uh we're talking to members every day you know uh cost of electricity is going up 300% with with members um, gas is going up and you know those that are doing food the the costs associated with doing food is rising at an astonishing level you know chicken is kind of up nearly 38% this time last year, beef is going up, everything is going up, so the costs of doing business is just increasing at an alarming rate, and thus we're seeing premises, you know, closing on the leaner days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just trying to make it viable for the business to survive by only opening maybe four days or five days in the week, Um, and I suppose there's a knock-on effect then on staff uh, that used to be working seven days, they're down to five days. I suppose it does help the staffing crisis at the moment by doing that, but still, I I, I'm sure a lot of staff would uh, welcome the opportunity maybe turn some extra money but uh, when business isn't there it's the viable option for pre- premises to, to close on the quieter days at the present.
3: So that announcement from Paul O'Brien uh, the week the owner of uh, Bunny Buddy Buddy Canellans um, didn't really come as a shock to you um, and particularly I loved the way he put it we're putting bunnies to sleep until this economic storm passes so hopefully uh, it will uh, reopen. Do you think others would think of just putting their business to sleep for a little while and maybe come back and look at it next year or whatever.
5: Yeah, I think. Look, we're 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 waiting at the moment for the detail of this energy package that the government announced on the twenty sixth of September. Uh, we're told we'll get the detail uh, the week after next. Uh, now, the one thing is. It is backdated to the 1st of September, but, you know, for September bills, October bills, uh, they'll all be paid in full by the premises. Now, they will be reclaimed, but if you're struggling with a cash flow, this is putting businesses under severe pressure to be carrying this amount of, um, you know, um, bills at the moment. Uh, We hope that the government could publish the, the, the requirements for getting on the energy scheme as soon as possible. And, you know, like people are saying, no 40% is good but we're still paying 60% of a huge rise. Yeah, so there's still and, a huge and, and burden know, on the I, business.
3: I know when it got announced and, and when I was looking into it it's 40% over what you were paying last year. So it's you it, know it is it's there's still as you say a huge chunk of extra money needed just yeah, on it, the electric bill.
5: Yeah it is and look um I suppose we we welcome some things that we've been asking the government you know for the kerosene oil Uh, LTG, which some use, they weren't initially included, but now they are included in it. Uh, But we'd still like to see that published. And I think until we see that, um, I think businesses will hold off in making decisions on whether they're going to follow suit and close down for the winter months, the leaner months. Um, uh, And I suppose the devil will be in the detail of that if it's not um, as... I suppose, viable as uh, as we think it is, then I think it will be inevitable that others will follow suit.
3: There's a question in from Pat in from Oi, who I'm assuming is, is a vintner, Oh, he is a vintner. A uh, question for Michael. What does Michael make of Sky Sports and BT Sports and the rest of them? They're costing bars over €1,200 Euro a month. Uh, bar owners need to pay for all of the channels, and that's on top of paying. Imro uh, for music is it time to relax the amount of money that vintners have to pay on TV subscriptions to give them a bit of a break. That's an additional bill as well, of course.
5: Yeah, it is. It's a huge bill. And look, um, um, unfortunately, we meet Sky, uh, you know, maybe once a year. And the one thing we always try and ask them is, you know, would they consider cost? But like, they have an attitude of take it or leave it. Unfortunately, they're they they they're governed from the UK and it's uh, it's very difficult even to get them to come to a table to meet us. But price is something that they will never discuss. Five, um ten um it's it's a it's they have a monopoly on the on 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 the you know most of the sports and um, and unfortunately uh, they're not going to change that in the the medium to to the short term of of anything so a huge huge cost uh, on premises and you know like sky are diversifying because they put matches on BT they put them on premier they put them on sky sports so you have an array of channels an array of costs And then there's racing channels that you have to have extra. So, you know, it's a huge burden on premises that are showing um, uh, any matches or any sports to have those packages uh, every month. Because there's a huge difference between a domestic and a commercial license for it.
3: Yeah, it's massive. It's absolutely massive. And, of course, for bars that will decide from a cost point of view to, say, close Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday and Thursday even, they still have to pay those subscription fees even though their bar is closed.
5: Yeah, it is. Um, look, it's it's uh, it's like we've we've said it to Sky, but Sky just uh, don't take note. Unfortunately, the the Irish market for this is uh, is a small market, and you know in the UK it's it's a huge market for them. So they're really concentrating on the UK, and they set the price, and that's it. It's it's a they have an attitude: take it or leave it. Unfortunately.
3: Yeah, and going into the winter months, heating of your premises. Uh, Michael is that going to be an issue for a lot of pubs?
5: Absolutely look the, the costs we've seen kerosene oil you know this time last year it was somewhere around you know, 55, 65 cent a litre um, we got the, the, the quote yesterday it's 125 a litre so you know if you're getting uh, some pubs that are using kerosene it would go through you know 1000 litres every 5, 6 weeks so like that's, that's a huge it, it's a huge cost that's going to be incurred and you know January, February, March are traditionally the colder months. So if the price is keeping, you know, we're 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 fearful of what it will be in those months um, and whether you use gas or um what form of heating you have, it's it's going to be very, very expensive. And you know, I think we're in a situation now of um we're battening down the hatches and just trying to survive the next number of months to get through to next spring and I suppose reassess where we are. Because we are going to go through a difficult period, you know we have we're 10 weeks out from Christmas, people will probably hopefully come out and enjoy themselves in that period in the run into Christmas, but we'll have a very difficult 10, 12 weeks the other side of Christmas um going getting us to the spring of 2023. That's,
3: yeah, that is traditionally a quiet time, and of course, a pub has to be has to have the heat on whether it's got 10 customers are in in or whether it's got 200 customers in it still has to. Yeah you, yeah, you
5: still have to heat it, and yeah. you know for our elec- uh, electricity bills, you know we've coolers, we've cold rooms, ice machines, glass washers, fridges. Um, they have to be run all the time as well. Unfortunately, so um, there's whether as you said whether you've ten in or not, the machines are on, so they're they're using electricity. The lighting is on, you know, um, so there's there's huge costs involved in just opening the door without any customer coming in.
3: Michael, is this crisis as bad or even worse than COVID times?
5: Yeah, I, I've said it recently, you know, we, we came through a very, very difficult time in COVID. But in COVID, we put our businesses to sleep. Um, you know, we were able to shut things down, turn things off. We're open at the moment and we're, we're still in a crisis. But the only difference is... Everything's turned on, so it's costing us a lot of money uh, at the moment. And uh, we have some very lean days that, um, that you don't see people, you know, coming through the doors, unfortunately, uh, to make ends meet. And that's where businesses have to make big decisions.
3: OK. All right. Listen, hang in there, Michael. And as always, uh, thank you for joining us and talking to us on the programme this morning thank you for Patricia uh, good morning uh, to you. that is uh, Michael O'Donovan who is chair of the Cork uh, Vintners uh, Federation 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls anything you want to share with us we'd love to hear from you you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103
2: Cork today on C103
3: with
4: Corrigan Insurance's Macroom, McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie the annual J
3: General Meeting of the Association of Catholic Priests. It was announced that a quarter of all priests are set to retire over the next 15 years to chat about the future of the Catholic Church in Ireland uh, with an ageing population. I'm joined by Father Tim Hazelwood, who is of course parish priest of Killa and Inch and a spokesperson for the Association of Catholic Priests. Good morning to Father Tim. Good morning. And, and you're very uh, welcome. There are you. 2,100 priests currently working in Ireland. Have you the age breakdown? for them. Do you have that at your fingertips? I uh, have
6: some, of that, some okay. of that here. Could I just maybe go uh, go back a little bit on the whole idea of the survey? Okay. And the whole idea was, about a year ago uh, we had a journalist actually was contacting us and asking, you know, what is this? What are the figures? And we just said, um, we don't know. Uh, there is no kind of database and that each, each individual diocese would have that information. So he, he just asked, he said, so for to find out about Dublin, I have to ask Dublin. Mead, I, I said, yeah, you have to ring all those. So we took it on ourselves that just to see what are the facts. Okay. Not to make any huge st- statement on it. I think facts tell a story. So we decided, and like, some of the main things in it is that, like, as you said, 2,100 priests, there's 1,355 parishes. There are 2,650 churches or mass centres. And I think the stackling kind of things are the ones you just said about. A quarter of priests are between the age of 60 and 75 are due to retirement, are due to retire in the next 15 years. There are fifty two priests under the age of forty, and there are fifty priests studying for the priesthood, so I think that shows that there is a crisis looming it's, it's,
3: it's yeah and the other the other figure that stood out for me mm-hmm. was the the two okay the the one thousand three hundred and fifty five mm-hmm. parishes the two thousand six hundred and fifty two churches are mass centers. there isn't even a priest per church at the moment. No.
6: Most priests, priests would have. I, I'm, I'm. I have a neighbour, in here in Killer just next door. There are four churches in his parish, and down the Cloyne parish, they have four churches as well. Not sustainable, not sustainable at all. Um, so, and now you have fellows who have two parishes. What people don't realise then, as well, is that you're obliged in your parish to have a pastoral council, mm. to have a finance committee. You have to have a safeguarding committee, a liturgy group, you have boards of management, and all of this is the responsibility of the parish priest. The book stops, and like people say, oh, we get people to do that, but the book stops, you know, the bottom line is you are responsible. If anything goes wrong, it's the parish priest. And that is taxing on somebody who's
3: getting older. And well, you know those, those, mm-hmm. those, those priests that, that you mentioned that are over the age of 75, so well, well past uh, retirement age, would some of them like to be retired or do they feel pressurised to stay on? Well, there's over
6: 300 working in parishes, either full-time or part-time. Many of them of their own choice. But OK. Like, if you're in a parish... And you know that you're the last priest that that parish is going to. And if you have a choice, most priests would stay on. That
3: was m- immense pressure. Immense yeah. pressure because you've built up relationships with people. Yeah. You know what's going to happen if there isn't a priest there. Yeah. At your re- but I'm just thinking, you know, yeah, men, when they hit 75, they've worked all of their adult life. They deserve to retire. Yeah,
6: but I suppose I, uh, that I would agree with you. But for a lot of men, their life has been the priesthood. They know nothing else. But what's the hardest part is that if you could just do the pastoral side of the work, then I think lots of men would stay on. But the reality is that...
3: Are they allowed to do that?
6: In some places they are. In our own diocese, the bishop encourages that 75, the fellows would retire. Some have stayed on a year or two. But like most lads at that age, there are either medical issues or, you know, a burnout as well. You know, they just have, um, and a lot of them support us who are still working. Like if we want, if I go on holidays now, there's uh, two retired men who help me out. I couldn't go otherwise.
3: Yeah, yeah, you couldn't take any kind of a break. Do we have many priests from abroad?
6: We don't have many in our diocese. We have uh, two, I think, who are, uh, there's one uh, married priest from Ukraine. He's in I and there's a, a Polish priest. And that's what some dioceses are doing. They have statistics there. There are some dioceses who are doing that. But all of these statistics are in the context of the Senate that's going on in Ireland. And I think it, it's timely looking at those figures and looking at what came out in the Senate, where people said they want change, um, that the whole... Um, no, there was great appreciation for the work of priests in the synod, synodal document, but it also said that the role of women has to change in the church and and also the way that the power structure the way governance is done needs to change a lot more open accountable it 's all clerical, and that needs to change so there's there's that conversation going on at the moment like it's we're we're we 're watching the end of a model of church, a type of church, and something new is emerging. We don't know what it is yet, but it's going to be different. In Atlone this week, the Franciscans, when at last week announced they're leaving, after 800 years,
3: they yeah, And actually, can I say, my own, uh, where I grew up in in Clamel. There's a, a Franciscan friary there where, I, where, where me and my family would always have attended Mass and they announced earlier this year, I think it's the 7th of January, is going to be the last Mass in the friary and the devastation. Oh, yeah, they, just and have, they just don't have friars. There's, there's nobody left. And of course, everybody's talking about what will happen to those buildings. Will they just fall into dereliction, which I hope won't happen. But there's a great sadness when you see those old churches and just not there's, there's no priests uh, to but say at our AGM, yeah. it
6: was interesting a woman who works at the she's the secretary of the synodal process she was just talking about that in that loan, that like the Franciscans just like in Clonmel for years were the ones who kind of kept the faith going and somebody commented there was two people out on the street uh, speaking the good news you know on about a Bible class so it's the new type of church
3: Yeah, yeah.
6: you know one thing ends Something new, but there's sadness. Like it's very sad to see that happening, you know. After, and you say there's a relationship built up over over years. And it's
3: gone. Yeah, well, I, I can walk into that friary in Clamell and I can point out the seat that my mother used to sit at mm. every single Sunday. And my dad died uh, when I was very young. But I remember growing up, mum would always say, that's where your dad used to sit because he was a daily communicant and was always in the friary. So yeah. we, had that, we had that connection, you, know, that, you know, that emotional connection uh, with the place as well. And the bishops themselves, obviously, very aware of the, the ageing population. Uh, I mean... I, are they, what are they doing? What are they saying to you about what the future of the church, what's going to happen? Well,
6: they don't say much to us, I'll be honest with you, but they don't communicate at all with us, that um, Like, we are asking that a proper, the bishops have the figures. Like, we had to ask priests in the diocese to try and work out the age profiles from the, their information. So I think it would be helpful if they did produce the figures, the accurate figures. But then it's going to be challenging for there's a few dioceses who have a lot of those 300 who are over the age of 75. It's, it's centred in a few dioceses. So there is particular pressure in those dioceses for men to stay on. And it's only postponing the inevitable, instead of being open to see what we can do. Like the Synod is all about conversations, listening, engaging. And I think that's the way forward and it's a new way of learning that we're very slow in the church to try and take on
3: so a couple of people are asking can you see churches closing and being sold off maybe someone suggests selling them off for cultural centres or even for for housing i don't know how an old church can be turned used for housing but anyway uh, can you see can you see churches closing and being sold off i can yeah yeah i can
6: because like the reality is like Like that's one of the pressures that priests are under. Like we have to pay eight and a half thousand here for insurance alone on two churches. Like we have to upkeep. There's and then they're listed buildings, so you try and uh, the 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 the, uh, shoots and the downpipes here. We got a quote for change them a hundred thousand. So and it's left, you know, and it's fewer people attending, less money. Covid has has contributed to the acceleration of this. And even though
3: even though a church might be closed for most of the week all of those bills are still still yeah. there.
6: You still have to have some heating on. You still have to have insurance. And uh, so it's that's the pain. Well no, in a place like I, I give one example which I think is like nowadays most people have access to transport. There are a few who don't. But in Castle Martyr, for instance If you stand in Castle Martyr in the middle of the village, there's a a, a church on the main street. Mm -hmm. Within a mile and a half, there are four other churches. Three other churches, sorry. And Killa is maybe three miles over the road. You've Ladies Bridge, Ballantautas and Within There's four churches within a mile and a half.
3: So you're saying you don't need that many churches?
6: But well, how do you keep that going? Yeah. The population yeah. isn't there to, for the upkeep of, of centres like that. It's um, just going to have to be... Yeah,
3: and there isn't the numbers attending, mass. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah, and, no, and, the, and la- the, the energy crisis, I mean, I was just talking with the Vintners uh, Federation mm. and the energy crisis, and they're waiting to see uh, the government scheme. Am I right in saying the churches are not included in that?
6: No, they're not. Haven't been. From what I understand, we haven't been. The bishops had made a statement asking that we would, but at the, the, what they've said that, that we aren't. We'll be telling people to keep their coats on.
3: And what's your electri- Have you seen a recent electricity bill? What? I haven't, to be honest
6: no, with you. No. I haven't looked at it. What's okay. the how much of an increase yet? Prob- I'm afraid to look. at Yeah, this, you're, you're,
3: you're probably better off uh, not. <laughs> Listen, uh, Tim, it's a pleasure as always. And before before you go, I'm told that Mammy Hazelwood has a. Now I don't know. Does does she want her age mentioned on the airwaves or not? Oh, is I she, think she's
6: very proud,
3: is she proud of it. <laughs> she's, she's very proud. proud. She Mary Hazelwood in Castletown Road, eighty-three years young. No, oh, Patricia, ninety-three. Ninety-three. My apologies. Did I say eighty? <laughs> I was taking ten years off you, Mary. Uh, ninety-three. Okay. And when is her birthday? It
6: was last weekend with we a party on Sunday. Did yeah. you?
3: Okay. She's keeping well, is she?
6: Very good. Is very good, good, thank
3: God. Good. Okay. Listen, well, you then keep best. well yourself. Okay, thank you. And thanks, thanks a million for joining bye us. Bye. Uh, good morning to you. That is father, Tim Hazewood uh, Hazelwood, and once again, happy birthday, Mary Hazelwood in uh, Castletown Roach.
4: You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: Some of your commentary, and this came into us yesterday, came in at the close of the programme, and I kind of, I got annoyed and saddened. I, I didn't know which I felt, which of my emotions felt stronger when I read this uh, text that came in from Joe, and I decided I'd wait and I'd see if I could find out and do, uh, find out what is the legal requirements with regard to this. Anyway, Joe contacted us yesterday to say, Trish, my daughter is a lone parent, and she went to Spain for a week's holidays. She's on a one parent family payment. A social welfare inspector now has her annoyed to tell him who she went on holiday with. Surely that's none. Uh, Surely that's her own business. But he keeps asking her. Surely that can't be right. Thanking you, says uh, Joe. So as I say, I got annoyed as to what's this social welfare inspector? Why is he challenging this lone parent as to who she went on holiday with. So I said, a better check and make sure that while you're drawing a one-parent family payment, are you entitled to go on holidays? I felt sure you were, but I needed to double-check it, and you are. If you're on a one-parent family payment, and it goes across a lot of the different welfare payments, you can be paid up to a maximum of three weeks. It was two weeks in one stage, but it's gone to three weeks if you go on holidays uh, abroad. Now, they say you must notify the department in advance that you're going abroad. I don't know how many people actually uh, do that, but that's not the problem with Joe's daughter. Joe's daughter appears to be getting harangued, dare I say, by a social welfare inspector asking her who she went on holidays with. It's surely none of his business who your daughter went on holidays uh, with. She's on a woman parent family payment. She's entitled to go abroad and have a little bit of a break. But I can't see for whatever reason why somebody would be harassed as to who she's going on holidays with. Now, are are, are they thinking that she went on holidays with her boyfriend? And, I mean, you can be on a one parent family and have a A boyfriend. You just can't have a partner living with you. If you go into a relationship or you get married, then obviously you lose your one parent family. But I don't think it says anything in the rules that when you're applying for one parent family payment that you can't that you have to stop having relationships and that you can be going out with somebody. And I don't know if that's where this inspector is coming from. But whether she went away with a boyfriend or a group of girls or she went away with her mammy or her daddy, is it really any business of the social welfare inspector as to who accompanied this woman on holidays. Uh, if anybody has a view on that, or if that happened to anybody else, can you let us know? Or can you let us know why the social welfare inspector has this girl annoyed? to the point he's harassing her so much to find out who she went to Spain uh, with 0818 103 103 uh, and I know when inspectors start asking questions they some people get very intimidated by it I mean I'd love to stand in front of the inspector and say well why are you asking that what's, what's your thought pattern there please and to be able to stand up to him but people find that very very difficult particularly if you're being almost harangued by somebody who keeps asking you the same question and keeps asking to the point where it's almost like he's making Joe daughter feel that she did something wrong by going on holidays, even though it clearly states... Under the Department of Social Protection rules, she is entitled, as indeed anyone, on a one-parent family payment. Or as I say, when I looked into it yesterday, there's a variety of different payments. You are still entitled to go away if you can get the money together, or if somebody's going to give you a bit of money, somebody, I don't know who, how she paid for the holiday. Maybe she saved hard for it over the last number of years. Maybe Joe, her dad, helped her out. Maybe her sister paid for it. You know, you don't know. But that wasn't the question being asked by Social Welfare. This inspector is just wants to nail down who she travelled with can't understand why 0818103103 and then uh, Brenda was on this is on conserving energy and she says all too often our Environment Minister Eamon Ryan gets knocked for all kinds of different things Brenda wants to publicly say well done to Eamon Ryan, the Environment uh, Minister for calling on the public bodies to scale back on festive lights this year Brenda said she's sick of seeing businesses with their lights left on all night she's fearful that they would be the cause of blackouts in the months ahead we're all being told that we need to conserve energy we need to conserve energy so that our bills will come down but we also need to conserve energy because we're under a risk of having blackouts as we go into the winter winter months. So Eamon Ryan uh, um, is urging local authorities and commercial premises to reduce, in particular, their Christmas lights usage this year. And obviously he's coming from it in a bid to save energy. Now, we already know in uh, Dublin, the Dublin Local Authority, they've agreed that their festive lights will be switched on later in the day and they will be turning them off earlier at night and they're going to do that um, and they go on or they go on later as well into the festive season and they will be taking them down earlier into the new year and uh, Eamon Ryan is saying now that he wants other local authorities around the country to follow the lead of the Dublin local authorities but he also wants commercial premises just to scale back on their Christmas uh, lights usage even though I did read a piece that the LED lights you know the little fairy lights and the LED lights that they even use in the street lights to light up on, our towns and villages use very little electricity so I think it's more the optics I think it's it's Minister Eamon Ryan thinking you know if everybody is switching off it might encourage other people to stop using less of the more higher items that use a lot of electricity so it's more I think it is probably more for the optics of it 0818 103 103 we were talking about the decline in priests in this country and the ageing profile we have a couple of people on about that Eddie says if you go back in time people walked to mass and they went into cold churches we all have it too good at the moment Eddie reckons the big issue for attendance today, now this is Eddie's view, he reckons are the sermons. He said if priests did a few minutes a cut back on some of those long sermons, he reckons some of the long sermons are turning people off going to Mass. He said also priests years ago became priests for the reason of religion or to help others. He reckons today the bar is set too high. It's all about studying theology and some people cannot obtain or reach those studies. They need to be more realistic. You don't need massive degrees uh, to conduct the teaching of the church. Well, I don't know if I ever heard of somebody who had a genuine vocation who went forward for the priesthood who didn't succeed because they didn't reach the degree. Um, Eddie, I don't know where you're coming from on that. And priests would always have studied uh, theology and there would always be an amount of uh, study because it's about seven years, isn't it, of training and study before they actually become a priest. So I don't really know where you're coming from on that one. As, as I say, it's back to vocations. It's, it's young men coming forward for vocations that us... Fallen hugely in uh, recent years. And someone else says, thank you for your call, ladies. Someone else says, well, if the church didn't have a big no policy to everything then maybe they wouldn't be in the mess they're in at the moment. This listener says, if you want to resign from the Catholic Church, the Church will say, no, you can't. You're a Catholic for life. That's why the Church is dying. People are sick of being told what to do. A oh, 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 couple of other issues uh, coming in to us. This is on the pubs staying open longer that we spoke about in the last hour. Uh, guess what, Patricia, says Martin, Ireland is full of heavy drinkers it always has been I think it is a shameful disgrace to see somebody who's drunk and being so drunk that they don't even know their own name things will get a lot worse now Patricia what are people thinking of who who actually think up these rules people will have no money because they will have drank it all this country is becoming a big laugh and the people running having a clue says Martin from white well the, the changing of the licensing laws in fairness Martin has been spoken about for many many years I think the timing of it (laughs) and and let's be honest while they're only discussing it today the legislation isn't going to go through until next year but certainly even if they'd rushed the legislation through now as as I mentioned when I spoke with um, Michael O'Donovan of the Cork Fitness Federation it's the timing of it uh, is all wrong people don't have that a lot of people don't have that extra money to be out drinking in pubs. So I don't think it'll make a lot of difference. And I don't think a lot of pubs will want to open or will decide to open until half 12 at night. So I think the timing uh, is wrong there. And someone else says, Patricia, it will be. it's a disgrace to think of nightclubs being allowed to open until 6 a.m. in the morning. You will have people going to early mass who will be coming across people on their way home from the uh, night nightclub. Uh, uh, Christmas Day opening, mark my words, will be the next. And I don't know if that is included because this is to update our licensing laws and and I'll try and see if I can find out if the opening and closing because at the moment it's the only day of the year that the pub's closed Uh, it it will have to be mentioned because we, we, we will only have this one piece of legislation governing the sale of alcohol so Christmas day is going to have to be mentioned either that it opens or that it doesn't open so I'll try and see if we can find out if it's included or not and Sheila says, Patricia, just as a tip to people, you know when people are trying to save money and we're saying to anyone if you've got any little tip that you've saved money on to get it into us and we'll share it with others. Tips to stay warm is coming in from Sheila this morning. She says in Shaw's InfoMoy, Sheila says last week, I bought myself a sheepskin and velvet throw. Doesn't that sound gorgeous? She said, it's the best thing I've ever purchased. It cost me only €20. If I'm knitting or I'm on my laptop or I'm doing some artwork, I can have it around my shoulders. If I'm watching TV, I'll have it over my knees. I've hardly had as much as an electric fire on, said Sheila, so far this year. Never mind putting on the central heating. It is a great saving, says Sheila. So keep a lookout for one of those. It's obviously sheepskin on one side. And velvet on the other side. It's one of those throws, so it's nice and big. So Sheila can wrap it around her shoulders almost like a shawl when she's working at her laptop or doing her knitting. And then she can wrap it snugly around her lap when she's sitting down watching TV. Thank you for that, uh, Sheila. Uh, texting 086. 103103. 103. Let me just look at some of the other uh, texts uh, coming in. Somebody Shay says that social welfare inspector sounds like he might be a little bit jealous that that woman managed to go to um, Spain on her holidays, um, or else. Uh, maybe he fancies her oh god oh, please I would hate to think that it's um, but Shay reckons it's all sounds a little bit freaky if he's harassing her to find out exactly and with Shay reckons that the person should be named and shamed I don't even know actually what part of the city or county the text is coming from Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three C103 Jobs an office manager with at least three years' experience in office management, accounts and bookkeeping is required for Mallow. CVs please to office at hallmark.ie. Groundworkers wanted from Middleton Cove, Cork and Carrigaline. Line, 87 1785 Ward personnel are recruiting for groundworkers with experience in pipeline, excavation, drainage and concreting, 21 9120 we we'll and an early years educator is wanted for Timaleague Community Play School. CVs please to Tim and Lee Community Play School at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
2: Court today on
4: C103. With Corrigan Insurances McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter. Home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
3: Now, when you are planning a holiday overseas, many of us will make sure that we have travel insurance just in case something goes wrong, especially medically, while we're away. Well, Kate Durant from Blarney joins me with a rather cautionary tale for anyone who is planning on heading away on holidays. Good morning Kate. Good morning, Patricia. How and are you doing? I'm doing very well. And, and thank you for joining us and sharing this story with us. I suppose, firstly, your partner, PJ, how is he doing health-wise? That's the most important question.
1: Do you know what? He's doing very well. Um, Before we ever went on holiday, PJ for the last six years, he's lived with dementia and uh, COPD and pulmonary fibrosis and diabetes and hypertension. So he's got a lot going on anyway. So the fact that lived through that and made it home is obviously that that's the main thing and uh, yeah w- what else happened isn't
3: great but that was just super, okay but he's, he's doing that. okay now now it was yeah. a, a two week break at the end of September to Palma a lot of prep I imagine goes into organising this uh, break talk me through what happened from after you arrived and when did PJ start to become unwell
1: OK, so we arrived and, um, yeah, so far so good. Wheelchair through the thing. As you say, a lot of preparation goes into taking somebody away when they're not terribly well. And we landed and with three or four days in. And he's been quiet, but it's very hard to tell. PJ finds it hard to advocate for himself or to tell you what's going on. So there's a bit of guesswork. But between the jigs and the reels, I woke up in the middle of one night and he vomited, which he would he never does. So I reached out to kind of to get him sorted and he was very, very hot. Um, so decided to call the doctor. Uh, the doctor came quite quickly and it, it tra- he transpired he was far less well than I realised. He had, um, to cut a long story short, it seemed he got septicemia, call it what you will. Goodness. Yeah, which is obviously a huge Well, I mean, it killed my dad. It killed 11 million people worldwide. It, it, it's a massive killer for people who are well, never mind people who, who aren't. So he called the ambulance which came very promptly and one of the questions as we were preparing everything and getting medication and packing bags was obviously do you have health insurance? Um, So I said we did because we did and they took us straight to the nearest private hospital. Um,
3: Now before you travelled and you were buying your travel insurance you were very careful about the travel insurance and giving them all the information that they needed about PJ. Oh,
1: Patricia, I'm gigantic, Pat. I, like, I, I'm boring about things like this. I, I took out the policy, which I think the policy alone, the basic policy was 80 euro. We were only going for just over a week. So it was 80 euro just for a week, plus we paid more because we got what they call a medical extension. If you have more than one one diagnosis of an illness, then you need to ring them and go through the whole thing um, and just to make sure that the cover is in place. And I did that and they taped that call, which turned out to be good further down the line. So we paid a lot of money, put a lot of thought into it and I declared everything down to an aspirin we take, the precautionary aspirin he takes every day. And so I was I was quite confident that we were covered. Um This wasn't just an add-on. This wasn't just a casual insurance. So, you know, when we landed at the private hospital and he was treated immediately, and I have to say uh, only for that, I don't think he'd have lived. um, I was told by the hospital I had to ring, but obviously once without a danger, they said, you need to ring the insurance company. We have been on to them, but you need to make contact too. So I did, rang, made a note of it, had a 29-minute conversation, made a note of the gentleman's name, just jotted it down, and he said, that's fine. Look after yourself if you need. us, keep us informed. The hospital obviously send them a report every single day. That seems to be the way it works. Okay. And he said, "Do you need anything? Do you need a hotel? Do you need?" And I didn't. I stayed with PJ for obvious reasons. So we never put in for hotels or food or anything like that. We just wanted just uh, just the medical bills covered. That was all we were interested
3: in. And you're talking about this is a private hospital yes. in Spain. So we know oh, how much private hospitals cost here yes. in Ireland, and it's similar. I take it in Spain. Oh.
1: Yeah, it's similar. I mean, it, they, they, I've never in my entire life, Patricia, seen care like this. Um, you know, for for example, he's diabetic, so before an hour before every meal, somebody would come in and take his glucose levels, and from that they decided what to give him for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm not, and uh, like, and I mean, they said me, I got my companion tray, and say we might both get fish, and might I might have a slightly richer sauce because he was. I I genuinely, I I don't think i gets get it in a health spa. Um, It was, and and, I mean, so good. They put so much work into getting him well, but obviously the diet makes a big contributory factor. But the care was exemplary. It was superb. And I I didn't worry. I'd even got onto the travel agent who had gone through a cork, a very good travel agent, and said, look, thanks for this. I'm so grateful that I took this out. And, you know, I don't have to worry about anything. All I have to worry about is PJ."
3: Yeah. Everything else is looked after. Getting that. him well and getting him back home. Yeah. So then at what point <coughs> did you did start well? <laughs> to get a bit suspicious that everything mightn't be okay with the travel insurance? Well, if it
1: looked too good to be true. And day on, on day eight, he was well enough to, to think about starting to come home. So okay. the doctor said, right, you need to start planning repatriation. It's going to take a while because he'll need medical care on the way home. He'll need oxygen. Fine. All the time and dandy. So I ring the insurance company. And within about two hours of me speaking with him, an email comes into my inbox that says, "We're just wondering why you never declared he's only got one kidney." And my blood, I have to say, ran a bit cold because I went, "Oh, you fool!" But he, his kidney was removed more than four decades ago, so I, I've never known him with two kidneys. But I suppose that's kind of not the point. So, got a bit. I rang them straight away and said, "Gosh, but that's nothing to do with it." And I said, I said "He's never had two kidneys as, as far as I've known," and.
4: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: But anyway, between the jigs and the reels, there is a moratorium on how far they can go back on irrelevant um, medical Hmm. your medical records, which I found out subsequently because I kind of I got on top of my solicitor as a friend of mine. I said, gosh, John, I might be in trouble here. What am I going to do? Now, bear in mind the bill at this stage was nearly 16,000. So deep breaths all around here. So after three days, so I, I said them about the kidney. I kind of got a few facts. I said, look, you can't do this. So, three days later, they came back and they said, you're quite right. There is a moratorium. The kidney is irrelevant anyway. It was sepsis. So it was, but they said, you never told us you've got a catheter. And I said, well, no, because I told you the medical condition he had, which led to it. I said, that to me would be like telling you he's got, say, a cast rather than a broken leg. Mm. Um, Oh, well, we're not sure. And anyway, another three days passes. And at this day, it's quite fraught. And PJ's still sick as well. And and you're quite a bit away from home. And um, so they said, we'll listen back to the tape. So they listened back to the tape, and actually I had mentioned his catheter. They hadn't put it on, but at this stage they decided it was irrelevant anyway. So now we're six days later here now, and I still don't know they covering the bill, and I still don't know, more to the point, are they going to repatriate us? Because I can't just come home. It's not that straightforward because of his medical condition. So she, all along, the lady I was dealing with, who was fab, um, and rang every time she said she would, even when she'd only got bad news, said, you're quite right, the catheter... Um, isn't relevant, but you never told us he's got ischemic heart disease. And at that stage, I just—I actually cried, and because he hasn't, what he's got is small vessel ischemia, which is one of the medical names for vascular dementia, which is one of his primary conditions, which was honestly noted. And I just said, you, I said, I'm wasting my time with you. You're so, you, so the, the
3: sense was that they were looking for an uh, Down to his toenails. Yeah and, and, yeah,
1: and you know what was the unfairness? It was this dishonest. I said, here we are. I said, we've been so honest with you. I said. We haven't booked into hotels. We haven't got one receipt for a meal. We've done everything by the book. And I said, yeah, you're just wiggling your way until you get out of this. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, but I'm not done yet. I don't know what I thought I meant by that.
3: Because what can you do? Um, and at, that and thing, at this stage, the, ho- the hospital are saying, PJ's well enough to go home but needs to be repatriated.
1: Yeah. So, I, I was, you know, it's like if you'd invited me for Christmas and then Epiphany, I'm sitting there saying... Hmm, Oh, sorry, Patricia. You know, I said to the doctor, I feel really embarrassed. And he went, no, no. And I mean, one, on a human level, they were really good about it. And secondly, obviously, they're getting paid anyway. Yeah. Um, so I said to the doctor, I said, look, it, I said, not being a doctor, but as a person, I said, because his oxygen levels were rising all the time. And they're never fabulous anyway, obviously, given his underlying conditions. I said, would you fly with him now as a doctor? And he went, I would.
0: Okay.
1: So I went, OK. rang the travel agent said, book a flight home because there's only three flights a week home from Palmer to Cork and there's no way he'd have done a road journey on top of getting through the airport and all that. Uh, so I booked the a flight home and rang the insurance company and they said, oh, but you can't, you can't. How are you going to get him home? And I said, don't even pretend you're interested. I said, you don't care about him. I said, it's a bit late in the day now to be wondering how I'm going to go get him home or is he going to be all right? I said, because that, that, you haven't worried at all about that. And, um, so we had a flight booked for 7 o'clock on whatever day of the week that was and it was 10 o'clock the day before that. I finally got a call from the account department in the hospital who they were so happy for it, that they got the letter that they was being covered. So it, that was 18 days in hospital. And things along the way like obviously they have to check the GP that I hadn't not declared something. I get that. But they did that on day 12 rather than day 1. Then they sent it to the wrong doctor so that was a delay too. And you just... There's an eighty six year old man that I got to know from the corridor wander, and, you know, we, we got chatting, and his wife had been knocked down. So her first week there was 60,000 euro, because she was in intensive care. She was she lived, thankfully, she'd be fine. And he was there, I think, he was there much the same time we were, and he wasn't leaving any time today, either. The poor man was
3: always sick. Cause he because he didn't know. Yeah. yeah. And and so, anyway, you got PJ back. And, did. and, and did you do it yourself? Or did you... Did or did, did, they didn't tell you, out, oh, so you did no, that. No, I did it myself. They
1: okay. said, oh, you'll need a letter for the flight. I said, they won't, because they don't even know i was are in hospital. So I said, I'm just going to go. I was peppering. Going up to the check-in desk. I, knew oh, all no, I the know, I know. But you got, you got
3: them home safe. And, and they pay, did they pay your flights back? Um, I've, I've put in for that. And yeah.
1: I, I don't think there will be a problem. I, I sent in for... Um, Oh, the return flights and and that was it. I mean, we didn't... Okay, but
3: there's a caution retaining all of this in the European Health Insurance card, the old-fashioned E111. If you had used that...
1: I wouldn't be on the phone to you now. It would have been... I think the care would have been just as good I mean, this, the two big hospitals in Palmer, they're across a bridge from each other. If we'd have gone to the public hospitals then, and I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know it was a private hospital we were taken to. All I know was that, that he needs to get to hospitals. And like they said, was it a private ambulance? I said, how in God's name I? How, how would I know? Um, so if we'd have gone there, the care would have been as good, possibly less bells and whistles, which doesn't matter to us at all, Um and we wouldn't have had the worry. The worry, yeah, is, it's the stress of it all.
3: And and yes, oh. you know, we none of us will go away without uh, travel insurance. But that E one eleven it's gold. Is, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, because oh. it it's that fight though, and whatever it is with yeah. travel uh, in, insurance, oh. I've 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 lots of examples over the years of people I've known personally or people have contacted us here. They'll go to whatever lengths they can. Yeah. To, to, whether it's part of their job or not, I don't know what it is, but it'll go to whatever lengths it is not to pay out on it. It's just, it's truly shocking on a very genuine case like what happened yeah. to PJ. You didn't set it up so you can go over to Spain and get this great treatment. He became unwell. Yeah. Has has it turned you off travelling with PJ into the future, Kate? Oh,
1: do you know, sadly, Patricia, I don't I don't think I'd, I'd take him anywhere again. I mean, we haven't gone away for obviously three, three years no more than most people have. And obviously he'd he's be, become less well in those that, that three years. And I felt, you know, i was kind of, I was saying, oh, we we, we won't go away again. And then I said, the poor fella. I mean, you know, he, there's only one way PJ's health is going. And I said, am I really cheating out of maybe a last chance to go to the sun? He loves the sun. I don't care. I, I take it or leave it. But I said, from just to feel the sun on his bones. And just to feel relaxed. And we booked this... This all inclusive hotel because he wouldn't be able to leave the hotel and a, you know, and a room that you could walk out straight onto the pool and I said just to feel warm and normal again because life can be very life's very difficult for him, and what a chance again I don't think so I don't know oh, yeah. well, I don't, I'd like to think I would
3: but I mean will he get a chance again I mean, Yeah that's the, so other, that's, other that's the bad. other that's so the so so his health he's, held, he's he, has he fully recovered now from the sepsis Yeah yeah okay. Right. And
1: we're very lucky, Patricia. And I mean, whatever about the rest of mine. I mean, I, we're so grateful for that because listening to you know to, to how many people are on trolleys here. And again, I'm very grateful for the healthcare we get here too. It's got its flaws, but the doctors and the nurses are excellent. And um, so maybe we were meant to be there because if he had to wait on a trolley with septicemia he wouldn't have survived. So you know, for that, for that, I, I can take the stress of the rest of it. I say that now; it is all sorted. Um, so we're really
3: grateful for the care we got God God works in mysterious ways doesn't he and and I know uh, a very good friend of mine many years ago was in a similar situation she was that her husband became uh, unwell while in Spain and they did use the E111 and I remember talking to her and she said she she said it was like a five star hotel the way they were looked at and particularly your your story about the food uh, was very much reflected as well okay listen, uh, wish PJ all the very best and, and you look after yourself Kate and thanks for sharing that story with us thanks Patricia God bless bye 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 bye. that is Kate Durant uh, joining us from Blarney make sure you travel with your E111 or what was the E111 the European Health Insurance Guide and use it 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls
2: Cork today on C103 with
4: Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie the
3: stress of Halloween fire fireworks can force guide do- dogs into retirement before their working life is up that's according to the Irish guide dogs for the blind to outline the trauma that fireworks can cause guide dogs and indeed all dogs i'm joined by lane kennedy who is advocacy and policy officer with the irish guide dogs for the blind good morning to you lane Morning Patricia, you, thanks for having, having well, me on this morning. Well, you're very welcome, and I know the Irish Guide Dogs you're highlighting the story of one particular guide dog called Sage, who had to retire and Sage was only 4 years of age. Can you explain what happened with Sage? Yes,
8: this happened last this happened um last year the the vision impaired person had a a 4-year-old guide dog, so that that person had two years of impeccable working, had, had a two-year impeccable working relationship with their guide dog because it takes up to about two years to train the dog before it's ready to become a guide dog. And two years into her having, having this dog as an amazing mobility aid, helping her get to and from work, get out and about socialise, you know, get on with life despite living with blindness. They were bombarded with fireworks going off in their area. We're we're finding that people are being exposed to fireworks going off in their community and locality areas as early as September and August every year. So her dog was impacted so adversely by the fireworks going off in their area consistently that they were going off regularly regularly. But they were becoming even spooked by the noise of doors being closed and they were like afraid to leave the house. The impact was devastating and despite the best efforts of our trainers uh, we couldn't help the dog to become to to overcome the adverse effects of the fireworks so we had to make the decision that it wasn't able to keep, to continue being a working guide dog and to continue to be a, like a guiding mobility aid for the vision impaired person so we had to ha- retire it and it's been rehomed now as a pet dog so it is now having a lovely life with, with a new family as a pet dog but that lady with the vision impairment she had to go back onto her waiting list and she had to wait again for another few months for a guide dog to be ready and to be matched for her so that she could go back and continue with the level of independence that she
3: had with yeah, her the, her, the her inter- dog. Her independence yeah. uh, take, taken away from her. And I, I mean, I read somewhere that the, you know, what happened to that particular guide dog, you'd liken it almost to PTSD in humans that they made, they made the dog that nervous. This, this event, Yeah,
8: like the, uh, the effects can be absolutely devastating to the dog. They're just becoming reactive to every noise, like spooked by the sounds of door closing, and um, afraid to leave the house. Dealing with constant and persistent anxiety and worry, worry and concern, and you know, like it, it's the, the dog can no longer continue to be a working dog. And like these effects, uh, it affects them. Um, working dogs but also can affect wildlife and also like, affect domestic pets mm. as well. So mm. people might find issues with their
3: own pet dogs as well. Yeah, well I, I know we do a regular pet corner uh, here on the programme and only last week we had a string of calls in from listeners saying how nervous their dogs had become because the fireworks were going off already uh, in, in, in their areas. And I'm assuming, uh, Lane, you, you, you'll be hearing from other guide dog owners uh, around this time of year. Are, you, are Do you give tips to them on what to do to try to mitigate against the worst of those fireworks?
8: We do. Every year, every year, our organisation is getting calls of concern from blind people with a guide dog and from families that have a child with autism and that have an assistance dog for their child. Every year we're getting calls and people are highly concerned So their dog is going to become adversely affected by fireworks and become and get to the point where they become so stressed that they're unwilling or unable to work anymore. So the tip we do give people and it would it would be very good for anyone with a pet dog to keep them in mind for their own dogs as well, is exercise your dog during the day so that it is more relaxed and you know, tired in the evenings. Um, keep it in at night time. If you must leave your, your dog out in the evenings so it can do its toileting, do so no, only if you have an enclosed garden for your dog. Because if your dog becomes spooked or frightened, it will run off, and then you you have the the challenge of thinking you know, of of worrying about whether your dog will run off and become lost itself. So that's another issue in itself. Um. Do um, And don't react to the the impact as far as you can of fireworks going off in your area if you can. Like if fireworks are going off, try and stay calm yourself and keep your breathing calm and relaxed because your dog will pick up on your own signs of worry and anxiety if you're showing them. So, you know, just act, stay calm and that will help reassure the dog as well. Keep the dog to the living areas of the house. So if the dog is surrounded by company and that's an extra reassurance for them. Keep the radio on, keep your TV on. Those sounds will help drown out the noise of fireworks going off in the area. Keep your curtains closed as well. That will help minimise their exposure to seeing the, the fireworks, you know, the bite lights from them going off in the area as well. And, and if your dog is showing signs, in, in in for instance, if it's shaking, if it's panting, that's a sign that your dog could be stressed from hearing fireworks go off in the, going off in the area. Do call your vet because your vet can issue natural remedy aids that will help relax the dog in the home as well. So that's another good step for people to keep in mind.
3: They have such acute hearing, much better hearing uh, than we even have. And, Lane, I was also thinking, for somebody who is visually impaired, I mean, those sudden loud banging noises of, you know, firecrackers and fireworks going off, that must be very off-putting for someone who is visually impaired.
8: It is. It's really worrying. Like, I myself am vision impaired. Like, I'm profoundly vision impaired and I get around with the help of a guide dog and what I have to do every year is that I have to curtail my, my normal daily routine so where I wouldn't be out walking in the evenings because if I'm walking even if I'm just going to the shop to pick up some milk and I'm walking with a guide dog if I'm dealing with the sounds of fireworks going off in my area I can't look around and see them going off in the sky There's no theme, there's no visual cue that I can take so I can just you know, say to myself, all right, okay, that, that noise is fireworks going off in the area. I don't know what it is. And it it's really stressful and it is really worrying. So not only am I worried about my guide dog becoming stressed and, you know, becoming too stressed to be able to focus on guiding me, I'm also worried about, you know, what the noise yeah, is. Yeah, like,
3: what was that loud, yeah. loud bang. So, so the message for people, Lane, who use illegal fireworks, at the end of the day, they are uh, illegal, is please, please think about the consequences of them.
8: Absolutely, just, you know, uh, because if people become aware of the, the impact that it is having not only on disabled people that use a guide dog and need a guide dog, but also everyone else in the area with their own domestic and pet dogs and wildlife as well, they may think, you know, they may kind of think, think, more proactively about choosing to not engage in, in using fireworks as well. And also if people are being affected by fireworks going off in the area, it is prohibited. If you don't have a permit for for instance, if there was like an, an event actually organized and where you had a permit to be using the fireworks. Otherwise if you don't have a permit, it is illegal to be using them and if people aren't hearing them going off in the area and they are concerned they can contact the local guard station or contact the unguarded at confidential line at 1800 666 111 to report it to them and make the guards aware that they're dealing with the difficulty of fireworks in their
3: area. Okay, all right. How long have you got your guide dog, Lane? My guide dog, Higgins. He's a retriever. He's eight years of age. I've, I've had him
8: six years now and he's absolutely brilliant. I like, out his help. Higgins, yeah. what a
3: great name. What a great name. What a great name. All right. So, uh, listen, stay safe, uh, Lane, to you and to Higgins. And uh, thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Okay, thank you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Lane Kennedy, who's an advocacy and policy officer and a guide dog user working with the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind. When I mentioned Eamon Ryan asking all of the public bodies and local authorities and commercial premises to scale back on their festive lights this year, Tom says, what will they want us to do next? Breathe a certain way? Uh, Christmas lights are a big part of Christmas. Tell Eamon Ryan and the government to get a grip and leave the country alone. Okay, we need to take a break. We have news at 12 on the way Joe Heffernan will be joining us in the next hour and we'll take a look at, at a lot of calls and comments that'll be coming in throughout the morning.
2: Cork Today on C103
4: With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Want great advice? You know who to talk to
3: Cmig.ie.
4: You're listening to Cork Today on replay Phone and text lines are currently closed
3: uh, Some help for listeners please Margaret was on Margaret is looking for the, uh, the loan, ideally, of a piece of equipment. It is called a Sarah Steady. A Sarah Steady and it's a piece of, and it's a sit to stand aid for a person with mobility issues and she's hoping that somebody might have one in their home that they're no longer using, maybe there was somebody in the household at one period in time, used this Sarah Steady, a sit to stand aid for a person and uh, would be willing to pass it on as she says, she just wants a loan of it, she will return it to you. Uh, she's in the North Cork area but they're willing to uh, travel and. I actually John Paul downloaded a photograph of it for me. It's a fantastic aid it would get somebody for example who maybe was sitting on the side of the bed you can slip this under them and then there you can ease them up and they're able to go then from a sitting to a standing position as I say the official name for it is a Sarah Steady. I would not have known that that was the name of it. If anybody has one or can point us in the direction of where you think we could get one for Margaret please contact John Paul and we have all of Margaret's uh, details on file 0818. 0818- 103103. 103. And then somebody who wants to stay anonymous, that's fine. Same hi Patricia, I wonder if you can help, please. Do you know if people who receive illness benefit are they to get any of the additional payments that are to be handed out by the government? Now there was a double payment paid last week to people on social welfare and I did check people on illness benefit didn't receive that double payment last week, but you will receive the Christmas double payment. The next payment that is to be paid out, the one-off payments, they st- are in the middle of November the 4th, the week of the 14th of November. Uh, people on living alone allowance, for example, are getting an extra 200 uh, and there are there's 500 euro to be paid out for people with the working family payment and then there's a, some others, disability allowance, invalidity pension, blind uh, pension and uh, people on care support, so no Unfortunately, the illness benefit is not included in that. The only one I can see for illness benefit will be the Christmas bonus, which is paid out on the week starting the 5th of December. 0818 103 103. Uh, also, what's coming in? Okay, we're still getting... Oh, there was a comment in reacting to Kate, who joined us in the last hour, Kate Durant, talking about her lovely partner, PJ, and the what they went through with the travel insurance, really. She had enough stress on her plate over in Spain, trying to make sure that PJ got well without the travel insurance company, just trying to use every single trick in the book to try to get out of paying. Hi Patricia this is a texter listening to your interview with Kate. Thankfully the outcome is successful for Kate and for her partner on the subject of travel insurance I have become so disappointed with the cover we were recently heading away for a week. Our flight was cancelled. We hadn't noticed that that the flight had been cancelled therefore we made our way to the airport but we were back home again in a few hours. Now the flight operator has refunded the cost of the flight to our travel uh, agency. Haven't received it yet, but we are confident we will get back the flight, the cost of the flight. However, we're at loss for €1,500 as we we didn't arrive at our accommodation, nor could we cancel it on time. The travel insurance company are declining to pay compensation for the said amount. They're saying it wasn't weather-related, it wasn't technical technical issue it wasn't a strike it's all very very frustrating we have to appeal the decision and hope that they will pay up but after hearing what poor Kate went through with her travel insurance I'm even more disillusioned Uh, well do you know something keep Fighting that, keep appealing and fighting and uh, fighting. Because remember, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil, but it is incredibly frustrating. I know a number of years ago, my husband was away. I wasn't on the trip now, but the, the accommodation where they were staying in got broken into. And he of the other group of people who were traveling, he lost the most. And I said, Look, don't worry about it. We have travel insurance. You know, they went to the Spanish police, they got the, you know, everything that they needed to, uh, but obviously the report from the Spanish police was in Spanish, so it it had to be translated by the travel insurance company, and they came back and said that the report stated that there was no um, forced break-in or something, even though the the safe that everything had been taken out of had been smashed. The actual front of the safe had been smashed open. Uh, Everybody ended up n- not getting a red cent back. And it was only after us we discovered that the other people he had travelled with, who had lost smaller amounts, their particular travel insurance company paid out, but his didn't. And it was just really, yeah, it kind of a very bad taste in my mouth. Having said that, do I ever travel anywhere without travel insurance? No. Um, but I'm very slow to claim and, 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 and I think that's what they know. I actually think that's what they know. They know that they will put everything in your way but certainly when it comes to medical you need to tell them up front every single little complaint and every single tablet you are taking because they will use that against you in trying not to pay out any money to you which is absolutely, it really is uh, shocking when you hand, you hand over your good hard earned cash in very good faith and then a number of people are commenting on the text from Joe about his, his daughter who was the lone parent went to Spain for a little bit of a holiday thankfully didn't have a problem with her travel insurance but she's, uh, she's on the one par- parent family payment and a social welfare inspector now has her annoyed to tell him who she went on holidays uh, with. He keeps asking and asking and asking. And a lot of people, I was very annoyed when I read Joe's text saying, how dare that man ask her? None of his business. Because we found out she is entitled to go on a week's holiday. She can actually go away for three weeks. And it doesn't affect her one parent family payment and it's the same for a variety of other uh, payments. Someone is making the point, and I should have suggested it, that Joe's daughter should make a complaint. If that inspector keeps haranguing her and it's sounds like he is harassing her that she should make a complaint you can go to ie social welfare making a complaint and one listener said it definitely sounds like harassment she would be better off to make an official complaint and lots of other people are saying similar that that's what she needs uh, to do and by the way and again I'm not ignoring all of the comments but some of them I, I for I, I just couldn't and I wouldn't be reading them out and I know uh, people don't mean to be racist but people are and there's some very nasty comments coming in and, and I hate to see it coming in about the Ukrainians but people are just getting so frustrated with the government and everything that's going on with the Ukrainians and the fact that the Ukrainians have arrived on our shores and they have nowhere uh, to sleep at the moment and the message has gone out to Ukraine you know we're, we're full we're absolutely full and there was a big cabinet meeting uh, yesterday where they all got together to try to come up with some solutions as to how, how do we find the housing for the Ukrainian people and so many people to this programme are saying... What about the Irish? What about looking after our own uh, first? I know the Thánaiste, Leo Varadkar, has come out today and said that the housing of Ukrainian refugees can't be guaranteed by the state. Now, he says for the next couple of uh, weeks. He said this morning, explained that Ireland is experiencing a severe accommodation shortage. And he said there's no point denying it. There, yeah, and we've a severe accommodation shortage for our own people on top of the Ukrainians and other people who are coming here trying to claim uh, asylum but he did say as a country we are we we are not in any way going to abandon our international obligations. We're not going to abandon our European solidarity, he said, but we do need to say to people that if they come here, we can't guarantee them accommodation at the moment, or indeed for the next couple of weeks. He went on to say that I think Ireland has done very well as a society. He said, I don't mean as a government, I mean as a society in responding to the Ukrainian crisis, and we absolutely have. And I know out of that meeting yesterday, the government came up with some... What they're hoping will be some kind of solutions. Uh, for example, they're talking about doubling the recognition payment. That's the payment that's made to families who take a refugee into their home. They're talking about increasing that from four hundred euro a month to eight hundred euro a month. They're also talking about a new eight hundred euro a month payment for anyone who has a vacant property that they would be willing to allow refugees to stay uh, in. They also, of course, and we know about the modular home. Homes. the ministers are reckoning that the modular homes are going to come on stream before Christmas. Now, this, these modular homes have been long uh, promised. They're said to be finally in place before the new uh, year. And they are the ones, they are practically built in factories and then they take about three weeks to assemble on site. And I've seen, I've seen videos of the inside of some of these modular homes and they really are absolutely top class. And I know people will say, why are they not putting modular homes in place for the 10,000 plus Irish families that are living in emergency accommodation at the moment they're talking about the modular homes for the Ukrainian uh, refugees. The Department of Housing has also called on county councils to identify buildings that they say would be suitable for refurbishment yeah, um And that they will obviously provide the local authorities with the money to do them up. They're talking about things, the buildings that might be privately owned, but they're also thinking of things like unused banks, if there's any holiday homes, any unused hotels. They're also looking at Defence Force buildings. They're ideally saying any kind of building that could house over 100 people. That's what they're looking to the local authorities uh, to come up with. And Michael Martin then yesterday said it was very... uh, He's also saying it's very regrettable if far-right groups would exploit the Ukrainian refugee crisis to boast their own political agenda. He's saying, look, the state has to double down and do better to accommodate the Ukrainians. But he is concerned that a certain group will exploit this to boost their political agenda around migration and he said that will be very very regrettable and that is the fear that I have that we've got people who are almost pointing the finger of blame at the Ukrainians and that is very very unfair and he is right there will be people with very far right agendas who will do that and I've seen some of them online and we just have to be so careful about marginalising people and blaming people and putting the finger of blame as if it is all the Ukrainians fault that we have a housing problem. Yes, we have a housing problem, but that's not the fault of the refugees that have arrived on our shores. The government have to do more for the Irish homeless people as well as finding homes for the uh, Ukrainians. But I read a really good piece from Louise Walsh writing in The Examiner today and she's interviewed um, a Ukrainian refugee who came to this country for refuge but has gone back to Kyiv from uh, Ireland and she said she won't be looking for asylum uh, again um, but she talks about how appreciative she was of her time in this country a woman by the name of Yulia Klymenko. she's a 35 year old and she said she went back because she said she doesn't want to be a burden on Ireland that she described as such a beautiful country and she said she particularly doesn't want to be a burden, even while her own city is somewhat. Uh, inhabitable at the moment But she felt felt safe enough uh, To go back Along with her son Who was just nine She knows she's heading Into a very harsh winter In Kiev. She knows there's going to be Daily power outages Of up to six hours There's also renewed Russian drone attacks On the uh, city But she said no She wanted to go back But she spoke about The incredible people Who had helped her And who had housed her she stayed near Dublin's Merrion Square when she fled Ukraine back in April of this year with her nine-year-old son. And she came here for refuge, But she believes. Um, but she decided then in August that... Her city where she'd come from, there was relative safety in, in Kyiv, you know, it has changed slightly. But anyway, she was missing her family, she was missing her husband, and she thought, no, I'll go back. And she's gone back uh, home. But she believes now that any accommodation that's available in this country should be kept for Ukrainian refugees whose cities have been annihilated by Russian attacks. So basically what she's saying is that people who arrive from Ukraine, from parts of the country, that are not under siege, she thinks it's wrong for them to leave Ukraine, that they should be staying. And it's only people from places like, you know, the the places that we've come to know so well, like Mariupol, places, cities that no longer even exist and who don't have homes, that they are the ones who should be coming here for uh, refuge. And then she spoke about why she why she picked Ireland and she said that when she decided to leave, she said Ireland was a spontaneous decision. She didn't know anybody here. She didn't have any relatives uh, uh, here and she said she was hearing of refugees going to all other different uh, countries but she had heard from her father who had spent some time back in the 80s, about 40 years ago. He had been working on a a Soviet fishing vessel at the time and they had docked in Ireland and he had spoken to her about how friendly and lovely the Irish people were. So that the reason that she decided to pick Ireland and she said when she arrived in early April she was very nervous, she didn't have any plans but she said she was blessed to meet the most brilliant Irish people who hosted her and her son and supported her all of the way she said we'd never met before we arrived and she said they took care of us they treated us like we were their own family, they were so kind and they were so caring and she said we were sure that the war was going to be over within a few weeks but she said one month passed then another month passed and then she realised she could go on for years she has family in Kyiv, including her husband and she said no she needed uh, to go back so she, when she felt Kyiv had settled down she went uh, back and she said she really d- d- didn't want to remain because she felt she was going to be a burden on uh, Ireland and that's where she said it would be better to give people from occupied and devastated cities a chance to settle abroad first as they've literally nowhere to go back to so I think she's making a lot of sense indeed and I think that's what people are saying about uh, the ones that are arriving you know are they genuinely in need and I know guard the vetting is impossible when you're coming from a war torn uh, country but I think we need to look to what other countries are doing because of course the problem with us housing refugees it's not just a problem in this country it's a problem for a lot of other European uh, countries 7.7 million Ukrainian refugees are now displaced in different European countries. That's according to the UNHCR. Uh, so it isn't only Ireland that's under pressure. Many of our European neighbours are under the same amount of uh, pressure as well. But the message coming from government is that Ireland will remain open to Ukrainians fleeing, fleeing the war. But as of now, they are no longer guaranteed immediate accommodation. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103.
2: 103 Cork Diary
4: With Cork County Council Delivering roads and housing Community and business supports All across the county See corkcoco.ie. Bingo
3: in Shambhali Community Centre That's on tonight and every Tuesday 8 o'clock with a jackpot of €3,000 And Shambhali Moore Golden Hour Social Morning is back Tomorrow morning half past 10 Everybody welcome to come along with a warm welcome And a cuppa awaiting you The Donnerale Sour Festival is on this Thursday. There'll be pumpkin carving for kids at the Presentation Pastoral Centre in Donarev 10 euro pumpkins will be supplied. In function aid for further details, 0858247193. 824 7193 And greek Community Development our Group. GLC are presenting a fashion show on Thursday nights, half past seven, in Rathmore Community Centre. Come along and enjoy the night with lots of fun and spot prizes. And a free makeup and skincare demonstration will take place in Mulcahy's Life Pharmacy in Mallow. That's happening this Thursday from 10 in the morning until 1 pm. There'll be a raffle with a variety of prizes on the day. Tickets are available now, five euro per strip, and all proceeds will be do- donated. Cork Arc, in conjunction with Breast Cancer Awareness Month.
2: Cork today on C103
4: with Corrigan Insurances McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group, promoter, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
3: Variety of calls coming in. Let me see if I can catch up because there are a lot of uh, different uh, issues. Uh, we were talking about the church and the aging priests and what's the future for the Catholic Church in this uh, country, Sadie has been on to say uh, her beautiful little granddaughter is about to be christened soon, but they cannot get a local church that will do the christening on uh, a Sunday, because in the parish church where Sadie is, they only do christenings on a Saturday, and what they do is they do them all together. But Sadie's problem is it's a family friend who is a priest who they would like to do the christening of Sadie's granddaughter but he is only available on a Sunday so they contacted their local church uh, they need the church for about 40 minutes for the service but the church has said absolutely no way Jose they won't budge it's either Saturday or nothing Sadie said she's asked and she's asked she's asked but she's all blank no. and she feels that is not encouraging people to stay within the church they need to be more flexible on Ukrainians and houses for the Ukrainian refugees. Craig says he knows of a number of people and not just locally but across Ireland that have offered homes and holiday homes uh, to house Ukrainian refugees but they haven't been taken up on the offer. Craig reckons a lot of the focus is on a few landlords developing grouped accommodation. He feels it's a business thing. People are going to start making money out of Ukrainian refugees and the more money that they can receive from the state. I've heard of on national radio certainly I've heard of a lot of people who were onto the Red Cross with uh, housing that they said that they'd available at the start and they've heard nothing or they've had a bit of contact and then nothing since and people not people still willing to either give over property of people into their homes and still waiting I, st- I still can't work out what the delay uh, is there we spoke with the guide dogs and the fireworks going off and we spoke with uh, Leanne Kennedy who is herself visually impaired she's an advocacy she has advocacy work with the Irish guide dogs and Eddie said for just One full minute. Everybody should simply close their eyes and just realise for one minute... How lucky we all are. We all have our eyes down on phones uh, now and we don't realise how lucky we are to have a sight. You're so right, um, Eddie. So and if God forbid it was taken away, uh, you would realise it. Um, thank you for that, uh, Eddie. Marion said the big culprit when it comes to the fireworks going off and the fear of dogs and the fear with guide dogs... Um, Marion reckons it's social media sites TikTok people on TikTok going out recording little sketches and skits and particularly recording items that scare people and scare uh, dogs of course the more views they get the more fun they think it is we need more regulation when it comes to these social media sites in her own neighbourhood they have fireworks going off and her son said the only reason they were going off was completing a TikTok video but if something went wrong with the fireworks or they hit someone or they land on somebody's house who is going to take responsibility then and of course as I keep mentioning those fireworks because they're illegal in this country. We don't know if they're safety checked or not and I know the fire department every year and we be, I'm sure we're still running ads telling people to just be so, so uh, careful of those fireworks. And remember I mentioned a Margaret looking for this Sarah Steady. It's a, a piece of equipment that it's a sit to aid stand for a person and Margaret is in the North Cork area and they're looking for a loan of one. Somebody in the household needs one for a period of time. Well a public health nurse was listening to us and she knows only too well what a Sarah Steady is and she says piece of advice for Margaret if you get an assessment done by an OT and a physio says following the assessment from the OT that this Sarah Steady is needed um, uh, and you have a medical card then you will get one uh, free. If you've got a GP or a medical card you need to be assessed but if it's not used correctly it can actually cause more harm than good. The public health nurse is the best person Best port called, best person to uh, contact, or if they live anywhere near a primary healthcare centre, ring there and they'll let you know who your local public health nurse is. OK, so I don't know if Margaret has been onto a public health nurse, but I just when I saw you saying an OT and a physio, I was thinking, oh God, would there be delays in the assessment? But when you say that she can do more harm than good if they're not used correctly, that means that has worrying alarm bells going off in my head. So we'll get back on to Margaret and pass on that piece of advice. Thank you to that public health nurse uh, who contacted us. We'll certainly pass that advice on that they go to the public health nurse because we don't want whoever Margaret is trying to help that we don't want her doing more harm than good. Thank you for your call to 0818 103 103. And somebody's been on to us by email and actually I saw... Last, back into last week as well we had a couple of Whatsapps in asking a simple, similar question uh, people trying to refill their home heating oil tank or get home heating oil to keep them going over the winter months people has anybody bought it lately is it a standard price across all of the companies Maria for example is saying who's, who's the cheapest oil company at the moment Maria's in the North Cork area living in Kenturk and she wants to know has somebody recently bought a half a tank of oil and we're talking about somebody ideally that bought it this week because I know the difference week on week it can go up or down so did anybody get a half a tank of oil either yesterday or today if you can let us know how much did you pay for it, please? And does anybody know is there a difference or is it, is it a bit like the garages that all of the all of the companies are the same price or does Maria need to start ringing around getting a price? But roughly how much is a half a tank of home heating oil costing this week? If anybody got it recently. O eight one eight one oh three one oh three text or WhatsApp. O eight six two. 103 103.
2: Court today on C103. With
4: Corrigan Insurances McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the
2: talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay
3: on C103. Joe Heffernan joining us. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, and, Patricia. And you're very welcome. And uh, today we are going to talk about uh, depression. Uh, yeah. because and, and I think this time of the year with that seasonal affective disorder and people can get very low mood and I think with everything that's going on with the cost of living crisis and the homeless situation and just everything that's going on at the moment, people can start to feel very down. Now, I suppose there is a difference between feeling very down and people who are actually clinically depressed. Would I be right in saying that?
7: Yeah, and today now, like, we'd be talking about being down and uh, we'll have a a little questionnaire that people have just to either make a, a note of the ones they say yes to or remember how many yeses they have. And it's not meant as a diagnosis, but it could be an indication that, um, that you are feeling quite down, maybe. And, um, you know, if you're finding you're not wanting to meet people, that you've reduced um, socialising, that uh, you don't basically want to go uh, places and meeting people. Um, if you find that you're waking very early in the morning but not refreshed after your sleep, if there's a dramatic loss or increase in appetite or a dramatic weight loss or increase, we would have, um, we'd, we'd ask these questions today, there'd be 12 of them.
3: Okay, and, and, and as you say, you simply answer yes or no to the track, yeah. ma- m- uh, make a note. Okay, go go down uh, through because they're they're short questions.
7: Okay, and and if it's no, just ignore it. Yeah, um, So count o- the yeses. Only, only remember or make a note of the yeah. ones that are yes.
3: Count the yeses. Well, okay.
7: The the first one is, I feel sad most of the time. The second one is, I'm not getting any pleasure from anything these days. I get no pleasure from anything now. The third one is, I have no energy. The fourth one is, I awake early, not rested. The fifth one is, I find I can't concentrate or remember things. The sixth one is I have had dramatic weight gain or dramatic weight loss without having been on a diet or wanting to do that. Dramatic weight gain or dramatic weight loss. Number seven. I'm difficult to get on with these days. I'm cranky and I'm irritable. That's number seven. Eight would be, I don't like myself this way. Number nine, I worry about my physical health. I worry about my physical health. Number ten, I feel guilty for no real valid reason. I just feel guilty. Number 11, I find I can't make decisions about things, big things or small things. I find I can't make decisions. And 12, I have had thoughts of ending my life.
3: That's the huge big worry one there at the very end. All right, there's, yeah. tw- there's 12 questions there. So what, yeah. so what are you saying if if you answered... Well,
7: basically, if you answered yes to six of them, well, then it would be a good idea to consult your GP. Um, without a doubt, if you've said yes to six. Now, if you've said yes to number 12, I have had thoughts of ending my life, you should contact your GP today
3: yeah yeah, but just even even six of the other uh, of the uh, six or more of any of the other ones it should raise kind of just slight alarm bells that like life isn't good at the moment for you but that the one thing about depression uh, Joe to get this across to people is there is help out there
7: and lots of it absolutely lots of help but the main thing would be to start that is to reach out Um, to talk either to someone you uh, trust, um, a good, solid friend, but you can't beat a visit to your GP. And um, people often ask, well, if I go to the GP, will I be put on medication? Uh, The answer to that is maybe, and probably not. Um, uh, Going to the GP and feeling quite down does not automatically mean that one will be put on medication. Now, it might be the best therapy, um, but, I mean, uh, that's uh, that's uh, on the advice when, when one attends the GP and talks things out, and um, uh, it's good to share, it's good to talk with someone who is absolutely qualified and um uh, and would be able to indicate uh, the way forward
3: yeah and and people i think people find it hard don't they to admit that they're feeding down
7: i suppose yeah yeah um it it can be difficult um uh, it's not easy to open up and to 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 say I'm actually feeling very down I'm not getting any pleasure out of life these days um I can be tearful I'm sad a lot of the time um that's not easy to share but um in the proper um uh, trusting uh, with somebody that you trust um it, you're going to hear something quite positive back. Now you're probably, hopefully, not going to hear. Yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that as we talked about at one and time,
3: GPs are becoming much better at talking about this and identifying the issues. And actually, a GP, a good GP, asking the right questions will actually get to the, will get to the root of it, won't they?
7: Absolutely, and more and more. GPs are referring to, you know, the likes of myself and others in our profession. And, uh, in fact, that's becoming nearly the norm because, um, as we all know these days, the GPs are run off their feet and they're, you you know, they're, oh, it's unbelievable uh, the busyness of their day. And um, they they can't sit down for an hour with each patient, or uh, people would have to camp out in the waiting room. So um, uh, that's one of the reasons. But the other one is, of course, um, uh, therapeutic. Why they would um, uh, refer on to someone in the counselling psychotherapy
5: profession.
7: And, and, and it's
3: sometimes it's a combination. I know you said some people don't like the idea of oh my god I'm going to be put on medication. You may need medication but as you say not everyone is put on medication. But some people it's a combination of both isn't it? The medication to almost get you over the hump and then what the kind of work you do to get you Absolutely. to get Absolutely. you back on track.
7: What we'll call talk therapy and maybe pharmaceutical um, uh, therapy as well. Uh, sometimes it's one sometimes it's the other but one of the very best ways of going is with both Um, uh, I've seen that down through the years that that is uh, an ideal combination when one is feeling down and to remember a little phrase too now we'll talk next week very very much about what can a person do um, in the ordinary everyday life what can I do Um, What kind of um, uh, options are there for me to get out um, to maybe meet other people? And there are, and there is a brilliant service, um, and I'll be talking about that next week. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that very much.
3: Just staying on that topic of uh, depression, Mike says being put on medication isn't such a bad thing for people who are put off about the idea of having to go on antidepressants especially if it helps, says Mike, but uh, I think Joe was right some people just the idea of going on antidepressants kind of frightens them, but if you need the help, the help is certainly there and somebody else when we were saying your first port of call should be your uh, GP uh, someone is making the point it can be extremely difficult to get an appointment to see your uh, GP. A lot of people struggle to actually get a face-to-face appointment with their GP. Someone else says, stay active, don't sit around consuming negative uh, content. There's lots that you can do to try to help yourself as well. So thank you uh, to people commenting on that. And then um, when we were looking for someone wants to buy home, heating oil is wondering roughly how much is 500 uh, litres Somebody got it yesterday and it was 660 euro. And then somebody else sent me in, in a link to something called cheapestoil.ie and you select Cork. And I went on that and it lists a lot of companies throughout Cork City and County. And the price ranges from 640 euro up to 655, depending on the company you go with. But as I say, one of our listeners got it yesterday for 660. So it's kind of around uh, That mark, and I think that's what I I paid for a full tank of oil this time last year. Okay, gotta leave it there. Thanks, John Paul. Nick Richards next. Talk to you tomorrow at 103
4: with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie.